Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. That was so hard to listen to. I just wanted to run into the booth and give you a hug. Like, I can't believe some of the things that you you couldn't make that up. And I said, no, it's not made up. It's it's real. And he said, you're amazing to have gone through all of that and still laugh. And I said, well, you know, I used it. I I used it to grow. I I think I used it to be stronger. And, And probably the best thing about it all is I think about myself maybe in the past cowering I had a very bad second marriage and I think about that person and and if I had been able to read something like this and be given some hope that it wouldn't always be this way Hey, lovely people, we've got the amazing Margie Jackson with us this week, and it's super exciting because not only is Margie super full of love and light and a really, really, she's just funny. She's just got a great way with words. She's also the author of the amazing I Am Enough. And through the book, she talks about her journey through anxiety and depression to an an amazing alcohol-free life, and she's been courageous enough to put it all together into a book for us all that we can can read and and learn from, which is, we're just so grateful to have her on the podcast sharing about that. So uh, get it excited it's an awesome one so there's not much else to say other than that come join us in the facebook group we've got some great things bubbling away in the background me and elia um we're opening up more and more time for present and sober opening up more and more time to create more awesome things for for you guys so um yeah that's it really not much else to say so without further ado i'll hand you over to me ellie and margie see you there hey lovely people Happy Podcast Tuesday. We're so excited. We've got Margie Jackson with us today. And um, not only is Margie an author of an amazing book, I'm Enough, but she's also a super active member of our community. And she's she's just a lovely person. We're super excited for this chat. So welcome. Hey, Margie. <laughs> Hello, Ellie. Hello, hey. Sam. So nice to meet you in in uh, sort of real life. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's like we've got an apparition here. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I've got a new computer and obviously there's something wrong with the camera. So I'll be going back to Harvey Norman tomorrow and saying, hey, can you fix the camera, please? <laughs> anyway, nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you too. And you know what? These things happen. Tech issues. Ellie, don't tell yeah, anyone this, tech, but Ellie is terrible. Issues. Don't start again. Stuff. Don't start again. Um, We've moved uh, on. We've moved on, Sam. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to get it seen too. I'm so sorry, but anyway, yeah. waste time putting the makeup on and doing the hair. But oh well. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know we've been looking. Oh, we this has been a long time coming. We spoke first spoke about mm. this a few months back, I think, before the book had launched. And there's so many exciting yes. things that have happened that we're going to get to. And we're super excited to hear about the book and the, and the pr- process and creative process behind that. But before we do, yes. I know that our listeners would love, love, love to know a bit about your story moving away from alcohol. And, and you know, we always sort, sort of say to people, you start where it makes sense to you. Um, okay. So, yeah, go for it. What? Uh, okay. What's um, it? All right. My name is uh, Margie Jackson. I'm obviously an Australian. Don't hold that against me. Um, I'm a retired school teacher. Um, I 
I think I used in my in my drinking life, I used it as a crutch. You know, it was my um the end of the day when I come in from school, it was like, where's the wine? You know, I just used it as my escape. And uh it wasn't until about well, just before COVID, I think. I thought, you know, I can't, if I continue to keep drinking like I'm drinking, I will not be around for very much longer or I'll have a terrible alcohol-related disease. I've got two grown-up children who are uh, the apples of my eye. They're they're wonderful young people. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to have to do something about this. So I actually did go to rehab at my um, beautiful, uh, long-suffering GP's uh, recommendation. And um, yeah, I it was the that was the start. That was the start of me thinking, you need to do something about your drinking. But you know what it's like. It, it, the more people that say things to you, and um, even your GP, unless you really want to do it for yourself, you're, you're mm-hmm. not going to embrace it. It's got to be mm-hmm. something that you want more than anything, as you well know. I'm I'm spe- preaching to the converted here. So I. I started reading about Annie Grace and, um, you know, and I liked her really non-preachy sort of approach. I, I hate these, you know, shoving it down that kind of, you know, people, you've got to stop drinking, it's really bad for you, you know. I've, I've never been good with rules all my life. Fun, funny because I was a school teacher. Um, <laughs> and I decided, I read about the 30-day alcohol experiment and I thought, look, give it a go. You know, I really didn't think I could do it. I, I drank for Australia for... 40 years and um, I just did not think I could go that long without drinking and I surprised myself. I um, I started off that first week was, was hellish, um, yeah, very bad, And I, but I just pushed through it. I just thought, no, it's time. I just knew it in myself that it was time and uh, I just kept going. The 30 days was up and I thought, no, I'm going to keep doing this and mm. I don't know, I just started feeling so much better. I, I also suffered quite badly from depression and anxiety and I, and I found that I was able to, you know, control it a lot better. And um, so I just kept going. I joined, you know, a couple of online sober communities and um, what am I today? Day 564 or something. So, yeah, something clicked in the brain. Mm. Um, and in that time I started writing. So I found that very therapeutic as well. Mm. yeah how cool is that so how did the how did the writing start then was it a kind of like a journaling practice or what what was the the genesis of that um during COVID I was bored out of my brain and and I went through my um my bookcase and I found my old old diaries and my parents are from from a Scottish from the UK the last time I went over I think it was 2014 my my counsellor had said, oh, you know, you should take those diaries and, and you should throw them away, you know, as a symbol of letting go of the past. And and I did take them with me and, and my mum's from Shetland and I remember standing in front of the house that my grandfather built in Shetland about to throw them away and I thought, no, I, I can't do it. They're, they're too important. Like when I was really low and really down, that was the only way I could, you know, express how I was feeling. And um, so I took them back with me to Australia and I started reading through them and I was incredulous. I was absolutely incredulous at some of the things that had happened and that I'd overcome. And I thought mm. you have got a lot of strength. You've un- you've underestimated yourself. And I've been divorced twice, and um, and your ex ex partners have 
you know, contributed to that. You know, you, you do have a voice. So I, I sat down one day, honestly, and I just started writing and it was like turning on a tap. It was just like turning on a tap and I just started writing and writing and writing and writing and the original manuscript of I Am Enough took 37 days. Wow. And it, it really was like I was watching my hand. Some, I was started writing by hand at the start and my daughter said to me, Mum, you can't write a book, you know, like that. You're not Charles Dickens. I mean, you, you know, why don't you use Granny, Mum's old laptop? And um, I said, okay. So it was a bit slow at the start, but I got better and better and better. And, um, yeah, 37 days to write the original manuscript. Unbelievable. <laughs> I remember wow. at the end just pushing away from my desk going, I've just written a book. <laughs> and, and it needed a lot of revision, like, you know, the publishing process. You know, I was a novice, so there was a lot more to it than I thought. Um, yeah, but I, yeah, well, it was incredible. I knew I, knew I had something fairly special. I, I just had that feeling. I thought, and I, was, I, I thought if you're going to do it, you want you to be really honest don't don't go you know skipping bits out because you know it puts you in a bad light or you've got to own it if you're going to do this you you need to own it and for me it was such a huge part of the healing process and moving forward I after I it was like a weight had been lifted off my head mm, I just yeah. I just felt so much better mm. so, mm. so was that the first time that you had kind of let out as such about some of those things because I had that experience when I started my blog way back it was so cathartic to just really be raw and authentic and not hold anything back in that space it was really healing for me was that the first time that you'd let some of that out was that things that you'd kept inside or yeah yeah there was one there was one thing um when I actually it was the first time I'd ever ever had alcohol uh it's in the book uh I had never told a living soul what happened and uh I thought I'd take it to my grave actually um, and I just thought, no, it was. It seemed to be time, and it was very painful to write about it because it had never been outside of me. Um, I had to have some pretty tricky conversations with, uh, well, not tricky, but some very honest conversations with my mum and family and my children. And um, but that also contributed to me, you know, really healing and and moving forward. You know, they'd been on my back for years about. You know, you'd say about your drinking and, you know, you know, family occasions, they'd be like, oh, God, you know, what you're going to be like tonight. Um, yeah, there were a few things that I, so I just thought, no, it's going to be totally honest. And, and, and the feedback, you know, from all over the world, it's quite overwhelming sometimes. <laughs> you know, because I say to people, look, I'm, I'm not a doctor, I'm, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, you know, I'm just someone who's shared their story. And and the the comments that I get from people about, um, I can just tell you know that that you've spoken the truth. You know you can't yeah. really fake. You can't fake it. Um, if you there's no way I could have written it dishonestly. Um, and and then I think probably the audible when I went and did the audible, <laughs> the young the young guys at your age, Sam, I think who who recorded it in the next room. I was sort of watching him through the, and he said, oh. He said, that was so hard to listen to. I just wanted to run into the booth and give you a hug. Like, I can't believe some of the things that you, can't, you couldn't make that up. And I said, no, it's not made up. It's, it's real. And he said, you're amazing to have gone through all of that and still laugh. And I said, well, you know, I used it. I, I used it to grow. I, I think I used it to be stronger. And, and probably the best thing about it all is I think about myself 
maybe in the past, cowering, had a very bad second marriage. And I think about that person and, and if I had been able to read something like this and be given some hope that it wouldn't yeah. always be this way. So I didn't do it for the, definitely didn't do it for the money, definitely didn't do it for, for the um, personal acclaim or anything like that. I, I really genuinely did it to, to help people, to, to show people that it is possible. Like at the time you think it isn't possible, but it is possible to change your life. Mm. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing to to when you've got that kind of energy behind something, the energy of service, it's it it animates the whole thing. Like it, it's almost like it takes on its own its own life force. Yes, and definitely. To to be able to offer so much to so many people, it's like it's a really wonderful thing. But it's it's coming from as you said, like absolute truth telling. And the, the thing is like these things that happen to, to us, it's like, it's not about the circumstances necessarily. Everybody has things that have happened to them or haven't happened for them that, that perhaps should have done. But it's the way I see it, we've, we've got a choice. You can either be consumed by those things and they can permeate your psyche and they can run the show from your subconscious or you have this choice to tell the truth and it's like it probably strikes the fear of god into most people like you know the the, mm. the thought of bearing your soul entirely oh, yeah. exactly but, exactly but, but what it opens up is not just like this wonderful creative outlet but as you say the way that it's helped you to heal and then the magnification of it, like it's the ripples that are felt mm. through mm. so many different people's lives. And then not just their lives, but how it impacts them. It will go on to impact other people. So it's mm. just like mm. this huge thing. It's wonderful. Definitely right. I, I think it's it's funny you say that. Um, I've noticed pe- people, older people find it fairly confronting when you're discussing <laughs> matters like I have in my book, um, my, my children's sort of age and they're quite fine with it. Um, the, the mayor of our town, I know her quite well, um, and she was very instrumental in, in in raising enough money to build a cancer centre here and she's quite a, an incredible woman. And I went to see her last year when I'd finished the book uh, to, to chat to her about it and maybe running some um, mental health forum that's my goal. Lottie. Hey, Lottie. Lottie. It's, um, gosh, she's, there's the, an ambulance. I live near the hospital and there's an ambulance going by. Um, I, knew, I knew I should have taken her to mum's one. Um, well, here we go. What, what kind of dog is she? She's a cavoodle. She's oh. very spoiled. Lottie, come here. Right, right now. Come here, come on. A cavoodle? I've never heard cavoodle. of a cavoodle. I'm getting better uh, it's at a cross, breeds, cross but... Come on. It's cross between a poodle and a King Charles uh, Cavalier Spaniel. So they're, they're really, mm. she's very sweet. She's beautiful. Yeah. Now, you be a good girl because I'm talking. If we had the camera, we'll be able to see you. Um, <laughs> it was a talk about. Oh, oh, yes. And anyway, she said to me, look, Warnable, where I live, is a small town. Oh, well, they say it's a city, but no, I think it's a town um, <laughs> in southwest Victoria in Australia. And it's a very conservative place. Like people don't go around, <laughs> they go to marches and they don't, you know, it's, it's pretty Catholic. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty conservative. 
And uh, she said, look, just be, don't expect people to be, you know, really excited about it. She said, people might be a little bit funny about, you know, so the tall poppy syndrome is, is very alive and well in Australia. Um and she's excited. I'd be in the supermarket and people would turn around and walk the other way when they saw me. They just didn't know how to react. And I am finding that. I am. I went down the street today and I went into Collins Booksellers and um, they went, oh, hello, Margie, how are you going? Oh, wow. Um, gee, book selling really well. Do you think you can bring some more in tomorrow? Sure. And this other lady sort of turned around and it was just really weird, like looked at me strangely. You know, oh, hello. How are you going? <laughs> I'm still me. I'm I've lived here all my life. It's just the people's reactions are really, really weird. Yeah. <laughs> I just find it funny. Um, yeah, so that whole thing of <laughs> not, not celebrities, I mean, it is a small place. Um, the kids, my own children, uh, were a bit like, oh, this is going to be really tricky. But no, they've been super supportive and, you know, they're pleased. It's It's so important. Margaret, it really is because I mean I spent a bit of time about almost a year in fact, what was it about nine and a half months in in a tiny little town of 400 in the middle of WA and Gee. I worked in a roadhouse um <laughs> and uh, a Caltex there and you know yeah. I stayed with a load of backpackers we had a we had a you know a lot of fun um but my goodness me the pro like the the alcohol issues the issues with methamphetamine yeah. the the Dead. people that were either mining or farming farming and then going and just like getting blitz for there for a week or a weekend and then coming back. And like the, and yeah. I, the year before I'd got there in one family, two sons had, uh, had died from drink driving, basically had left the pub and gone drifting as they called it, decided to go around the fields in their cars. One son had killed himself doing oh. so. And then the following year, the, and the second son had done the same, doing oh. the same thing. And everyone was drinking. It was crazy. And to me, it was like, yeah. wow, like this is yeah. everyone's yeah. messed up and no one's talking about it. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, look. So you're very spot on. Absolutely spot on. I've already started writing book two, and it's and book two is called Down the Hatch, and it's about Australia's drinking mm, culture. Oh, wow. It's everywhere. Since I stopped, it's it's unbelievable. You can't even go to a kid's birthday. Nothing. Everything has everything has alcohol. It is really incredible, and it's not until you stop you probably find the same thing in in the UK. Oh, yeah. um, when the rallies come out to visit, I mean, we've even got drive-in bottle shops here. You don't even have to get out of your car. You know, you're rocking into the drive-in bottle shop, wind the window down and, and say, oh, I'll have, you know, half a dozen stubbies, mate, and, you know, a cask of wine. And my, my English rallies just thought that was absolutely unbelievable. But, oh, it's everywhere. It is. Um, so I, I don't know. I think I think my daughter doesn't drink at all. It's probably got a lot to do with me. And... Um, you know her not wanting to be the same way but I think younger people have a different um attitude towards alcohol I, I don't think that it's the same as like we, we we'd go out when we were young and you know you'd go to the pub you know get lined that was the, the thing that you did and uh well although I was also a musician so when I was playing in the band I, I didn't actually I didn't drink at all because I thought I'm not doing I'm like standing on the stage and um making a total idiot of myself so I did have I did have control, you know, some control. But I think it got worse and worse and worse, uh, you know, as my uh, depression and anxiety sort of got worse, so did the drinking. And I, mm -hmm. I used to think that it, it helped the anxiety, but in reality it mm. made it a lot, a lot worse. <laughs> mm. That's the thing mm. that's so fascinating because I'd always I just decided I was an anxious person. I've, yeah. I've been anxious all my life. I, I always will be. And 
the thing that I wanted most in my life when I was in the throes of drinking was peace. I just wanted my racing mind to stop and I wanted to have some peace and tranquility and feel mm. contented. And uh, that I did the alcohol experiment as a participant back in mm. January, 2020. And I couldn't believe it. Like it would have been about halfway through and my anxiety had just, it had, the whole thing had fallen away. And prior to joining the alcohol experiment, I'd learned about how alcohol works with the brain and body. So I'd learned this new information that actually not only does it not relax you, but it, it can exacerbate or it will exacerbate anxiety and stress. And it will cause it because of the introduction yeah. of stress hormones in the body. And, mm. and, and even if you're in that cycle of like, I was trying to take a few days off a week, feeling miserable and deprived, and then I drink again. But, but even that, even taking a few days off, alcohol hasn't had the time to get out of your system entirely. So you're, you're constantly in that push and pull. Yeah. Um, when, when you, when you were in the alcohol experiment, you said the first week you described it as hellish. When I did my um, Zumba, uh, when I finished teaching, I, I loved going to Zumba. So I, I went to Melbourne and uh, did my Zumba instructor training. So I, I started running classes because I'm quite a fit person. And um in that first week, I went to do a practice class and, oh, boy, I, I had to run as fast as I could. Oh, I was just sweating and throwing up. And and I, I, even at that time, I thought, that, you know, I didn't even associate that it's probably because you've stopped drinking suddenly. Like, like for two days I can remember thinking, oh, you know, the sweats and the, mm. oh, just, the, oh, it was terrible. Yeah, it was hellish. <laughs> But, you know, I persevered and you're right, you know, within a, about a week I thought, gee, I'm not feeling so wound up. And and yeah. the sleep, the sleep is like even now, I just love waking up in the morning and feeling totally rested and well. It's, it's it, You can't put a price on it. Isn't that the greatest it's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it is. It is, buddy. So, <laughs> yeah. Margie, was there, a, was there an event or a turning point or what, what, was the moment in time where you just went, nah, got to deal with this, got to sort this out? Yeah, I think for me, anything I've done in my life, it sort of sneaks up on me. I think, like it, uh, it was in the, it was in my mind, like the little seed had been planted, and uh, I just knew, I just knew that I had to do something about it. It really was like the penny finally dropped. I, I see people online talking a lot in the, my groups about. You know, I, I had so many day ones, like hundreds and hundreds of days, and it never stuck, it never stuck. And then I don't know what it was, but one day I, it just did. And and it was like that for me. I just, I had this, I just knew. I knew I knew in myself, I thought, you just can't keep doing it. It's um, it's it's soul destroying, you know, like what do you want the rest of your life to look like? Do, do you want to just keep having hangovers and making bad decisions and, you know, and I, I don't know, I did, it really was like, that's it. I've had an, I, I just can't do it anymore. Mm. And it's a really hard thing to explain to people that especially people who have known you for a long time and, you know, they know, knew that you drank a lot. Um, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's fantastic. Like every day I wake up and I'm, I just can't believe it. I'm still like, hooray. Mm. <laughs> it's, great. It's, it's this really interesting entry point though, isn't it? That you can, you can go into something with, because it's it's facilitated by a painful experience or by an accumulation of pain but mm. 
very quickly. So within a couple of weeks, as you start to feel better and the benefits roll in and all of the things that you would have like beyond your wildest dreams, the things that, mm. that happened mm. for you, then it's much more about this moving towards pleasure. And it's it, the pain, like I, I can still remember to some extent what the pain was like, but not acutely. Like the brain does a really yeah. good job of yeah, softening does. the edges of all of that. Yeah. It does. But the, to, to have a really clear intention about, I loved what you said about like, well, what kind of life do I want to lead? What, you know. What do you want it to look like? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's such a powerful thing to ask yourself. And mm. so can you talk a little bit about how that intention, as far as how you were going to live your life, how that fit into then this process of, because I like, it's so interesting how the book kind of, wrote not wrote itself but it, it came out <laughs> in such a short space of time so mm. was there mm. some like what was the interplay with that that intention with how you wanted to live your life and the the outpouring of the the content of the book yeah it all seemed to sort of come together at the same time there's all there's also a funny story about it I uh, and I only remembered it after I'd written the book um my grandmother I was very close to the one mum's mum from Shetland, but I was very close to her and she passed away in 1995 and I was away on holidays in Queensland when she passed away. I write about it in the book. Um, anyway, when I, when I came back, I was so upset that I wasn't here when she passed away and I went to see a clairvoyant, as you do, and uh, this guy was this whiz-bang, fantastic clairvoyant from England, you know. It was on the radio and I thought, oh, I'm going to go and do that. And I walked in, oh, I gave him the wrong name. I didn't tell him what I did. I didn't tell him anything about me at all. And I walked in and the first thing he said to me was, it's not your real name, is it? And I went, no. <laughs> and then he said to me, uh, he said, you're a writer. And I said, no, I'm not. I thought, oh, he's hopeless. I said, no, I'm not. Like I'd been writing reports that day. I was school, it was the end of the year and I was a school teacher. Um, he said, no, no, no. He said, you're a writer. And he said, one day you're going to write a book. And it's going to do really well. It's internationally. And I went, oh, I thought it was hilarious. I said to him, I haven't got time. I, I had two kids, a toddler and a baby. I said, I haven't got time to go to the toilet, you know, much less <laughs> write a book. I said, you're joking, mate. I thought he was hopeless. And it wasn't until years later my kids said to me, Mum, you've written the book. He, said, he was right. And I thought, oh, God, 25 years later. I wrote this book. It's really bizarre. So, yeah, weird. But I, I always felt I had a book in me. I, I always, yeah, and I loved writing. I've always loved writing. I find it really, you know, like when I did the journaling for, for when I did this, the 30-day alcohol experiment, I love that. Mm. <laughs> and my diaries, I've got heaps and heaps of diaries. So I've, I've always written old letters, you know, I've always written a lot of letters. My best friends used to say to me, I said, I've written a letter over the weekend. And they they go, oh, God, what, happy letter or who are you mad with now? Like, you know, I was always writing something. So, yes, I guess he was right that, that I, I am a writer. And I've, I've written two um, children's <laughs> musicals that have been performed uh, while I was a teacher. I was a performing Ooh. arts teacher, so I've done that. Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, I suppose my, myself, my body was trying to tell me for many, many years that, yes, you are a writer. So, mm. and I do love it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to say you were struck by the muse would be an understatement, yes, right? It's amazing. Definitely. So I know for sure, like loads of our listeners are going to 
really essentially what are some of the themes that you cover in the book margin if we were going to give us a bird's eye view for everybody who's listening that, that i know is going to want to go and read this okay well i've i'm just hanging on to that wish you could see it but it's uh, the cover says i'm enough from depression anxiety and addiction to recovery so that's um that's in a nutshell that's my elevator pitch um i crazily enough when i wrote it i actually wrote to Claire Pooley and I wrote to Annie Rates asking them to endorse the book. I thought, you have got Buckley's or none of this happening because you're nobody and they're really famous. And I was sitting up in bed having a cup of tea and I got an email from um, Claire Pooley and she said, yeah, look, I'd love to. I'd love to endorse your book. And I was like, are you kidding me? Or... And on the cover, this is on the cover, she wrote, a bravely honest and moving memoir that will transform lives. That was Claire Pooley. I, I nearly had a heart attack. And then um, <laughs> I did, seriously, I could not believe it. And um, Annie Grace, hers was, I just I just couldn't believe it. Um, Margie Jackson's voice in her beautiful memoir is the perfect mix of honesty, vulnerability, wisdom, warmth and power. Anyone seeking courage and hope to inspire them on their own journey will find it in I Am Enough, Annie Grace, author of This Naked Mind and The Alcohol Experiment. And it just shows you for me that these these people are the real deal. They're not um, unapproachable. You know, I've spoken to both of them. and to me, that is just so fantastic that we're all working together. No, nobody's sort of on an ego trip or, you know, they've both said to me, um, gee, maybe you can you can be the, the Australian, um, you know, I, I'm the American one, Claire's, <laughs> Claire's the British one, you, you be the Australian one. And I thought, yeah, why not? <laughs> like, it's pretty crazy. But and, and I have to be honest and say that in the United States in particular, the book's just gone nuts and I don't really know why. Like, I haven't got any sort of facts or figures of, of why, but I, I think it's just really appealed to or maybe a lot of the readers, uh, readers of any grace. But, yeah, look, it's just fabulous. I'm, I'm, I'm beyond, I can't believe it. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> I think there's a real hunger for raw, authentic, positive mm. stories out there because the kind of story around you know, whatever language people use recovery addiction you know all this this, the stories that have been around it for the longest time have been very kind of underpinned with fear I think and the kind of old mode of you know and and it's and there's this new burgeoning amazing community which it's funny you know because we're inside it it feels like it's definitely growing but yeah yeah actually I speak to a lot of people who are like this naked mind like I what's that or and and it's it's amazing the, the community feel amongst, you know, particularly, well, everywhere in the world, I guess, but within the groups and the kinds of people that you're talking about, you can send an email and people are busy. So it might take a little while for people to get back, but they nine times yeah. out of 10, they do, you know, and everyone genuinely loves having a chat and helping each other out. And everyone wants to, you know, stand on each other's shoulders and give each other a lift. Mm-hmm. It's such a lovely place to, to hang out. It is. It's just fantastic. Oh, the people I've met, <laughs> amazing people, like from all over the world. Um, it, it just makes me think, it, it, it definitely reinforces to me that there are more good people in the world. It, 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 some of the messages and things I've received are just quite amazing. I had a lady from Canada, I think she was, and she said, I read your book and she said, I always like you. She said, I always felt that I didn't have much of a voice, that, you know, I wasn't really anybody who would listen to me. And I'd been unhappy for a long time and I went and spoke to my husband 
And she said it was the beginning of such a fantastic conversation. She said, I really think I have to credit you with saving my marriage. And I just thought, wow, like, you know, I wrote a book and now, as you were saying before, Ellie, you know, the ripples of that, you you don't know really. And only if people get come back to you and speak to you, but it's really been incredible. And just, just, I go to bed at night, just, I'm just so happy that, that by being honest and saying, look, this is my story. You know, it might resonate with you. There might be parts of it that you go, oh, yeah, that was me too. You know, people do have a voice, you know, and, and I think it's pretty gutsy. It is a gutsy thing to put your whole life out there, but, gee, I've got no regrets about that whatsoever. I, I just think it's it's helped so many people. Mm. Without a doubt. And that, that authenticity that prevails, like you're untouchable there because you, you are absolutely going back to truth telling you 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 are living your truth and that it it just it, it might feel uncomfortable but it feels so good i um, i love what annie says about the whole like her place within all of this she says i'm invited but i'm not required and and that's the same for all mm-hmm. of us like we mm-hmm. we have an invitation to be a part of this amazing movement but it's happening with or without us. And so to, to know what our place is and to, to be able to show up truly as we are, fully authentically as we are, then I think that's it. Yes. People, people know. And I think that's why your book is clearly gaining so much traction and it's pe- people are connecting with it because there's, like there's not a hidden agenda with it. There's not, it's not anything other than the the absolute truth. And as Sam says, like, I, I think, you know, the pe- people like to know that they're not alone and not only they're not alone, but that there's hope. And so mm-hmm. I think what you've, what you've done, not just for yourself, but for, for, for everybody else that has the, the pleasure of, been touched by it and, and and can read it it's it's a really really courageous but just it's a fantastic thing Mar- margie it really really is thank, thank you i really appreciate that i must say to you that um, <laughs> the naysayers did come out though when i <laughs> and, and really to the point of um me sort of almost deciding actually I think I'll just put a, a pat in this page here I should just read this is this is in the book um I should just read it to you see uh, a friend of mine said you've had a lot of shit thrown at you in you and your life Margie but you've chosen it to use it to become stronger you were a phoenix rising from the ashes not a bloody victim I must say I like that image and I do want to share my experiences in the hope that other women in particular will be empowered to do the same everyone has choices We choose our friends, our occupations, and our willingness to participate actively or passively in life. Mm. Our attitude shapes the way we view the world. And when my life became difficult, I just thought about getting through one day at a time. I have found that once you're doing something, instead of thinking about it, things seem easier to cope with. There is always hope. And I like to think of myself as an optimist and a glass is always half full person. (laughs) Just a bit from the book. 
but yeah that's true yeah it is and, and talking about authenticity my, my father passed away in 2019 and the last couple of weeks of his life he he, he really was himself like he didn't give a, a shit about what mm. people thought of him he was in hospital but you know he he really became his authentic self and I really admired that and I yeah. thought you know, I think you spend a lot of time worrying about if people like you and, and fitting in. And I really think I've got to the stage of my life where I've thought, you know what, I'm just going to be authentically me. You know, I, I can't be bothered anymore. <laughs> I'm not playing the role of self. I've been so many different people in my life. Now I just want to be myself. And since I became my authentic self and gave myself permission to be my authentic self, I'm, I'm the happiest I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's saying something. <laughs> It's so true. I think we, because when we're not being authentic, so a client said something to me amazing the other day. She said, uh, yeah, I'm fed up of contorting myself. And I just love yeah. the way she put it. And the thing is, when we <laughs> do that, when we contort ourselves for others, we, we're all bent out of shape. And, and, and then mm. people say things and it really hits us. But when we're telling our mm. truth, I think when we're doing that, if we're being truly, truly acid on it, there's those naysayers, they're going to come out because you, you, you can't please everybody, particularly no, you if you're putting it all no, out you there. Can't. You can. Um, yeah. So true. Sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say, no, you, right. but, but you know, it's it's all about their own stuff, right? It's not about you exactly. at all. It's firmly exactly. about their own stuff. And this is what I mean exactly. about you. You become untouchable because you, it, when you speak your truth and you live from your your true self, from that place, then, as you said, you're the happiest that you've ever been. You are fully aligned. And... It's, it's not to say that hurtful comments don't hurt, but we don't need to attach to them. We don't need to, uh, we don't need to breathe air into them. We can no. allow them You're to, very to right, go back to Ellie. their rightful owner. Yeah. I've been threatened um, through the book uh, with, <laughs> with a defamation um, suit. Uh, a couple of people are terribly thrilled about what I've written, but uh, we just, I did go to see a lawyer and he said the number one rule of defamation is you cannot argue with it if it's the truth. If you're, what you're saying is the truth, then they, haven't, they can't even uh, take you to court. So mm. I came away from that thinking, gee, well, there's nothing in my book that isn't, that isn't my truth. Know, it's, it's a way that I perceived what happened to me, but I, I didn't intentionally set out to try and defame anybody or talk calling on a bad person. I just told my story, and uh, that was that was a little bit scary for a couple of weeks, but um, you know, sort of got the behind me now, so that's good. But oh, you know, some people very um. As, as a guy that I was working on the book with said, uh, said to me, there's a lot of great ideas in the cemetery, Margie. Like, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> and that really kept me going. When the naysayers were really, you know, they gave me a bit of hell for a while. And I just thought, no, I, 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 and I lived alone, so I didn't really have anyone to bounce off, you know, well, what do you think of that? Is that a bad idea? Or I had to trust myself. I think it was the first time mm. in my life where I just thought, you know what, I'm going to back me. I, I really believe in this and um, I don't really care what what anyone says I believe in this more than I've ever believed anything in my life so you know when you've got that kind of faith in yourself um, it'll happen you're right like it's beyond my wildest dreams what's happened since you know I'd never would have been able to buy my own home again while I'd been drinking or I, I wouldn't have wouldn't have published a book while I'd been drinking. Um, it wouldn't have been a very coherent book. Uh, yeah so so many things have happened every day it just gets better and better it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> I hear you. So, hey, other than uh, other than reading your book, what would you uh, 
say to somebody that's at the beginning of this journey that they're listening in now and they're thinking to themselves, yeah, like, you know, I can sense that alcohol's not what it's just not right. I want to make a change. I want to make a shift. What, uh, what insight would you share or what would you say to that person, Maggie? Oh, I tell them to, I think we're all, we're all duped. Um, the, the alcohol industry, you know, the, the people laughing and smiling in the ads with, you know, drink this beautiful elixir of life because it's going to make everything better. And, and it's just, it's just not true. It, it's false. I think I have, I have found happiness since, you know, just in the simple things again. I mean, since I was a kid, I, I remember being a really happy kid and then I lost a lot of years and I think that alcohol masks your true happiness in, in anything. And so I think trust yourself. I mean, God, if I can do it, honestly, any, anybody can because I honest, I could have gone to the Olympic Games, you know, and been and drank for Australia. I, and I would have won the bloody gold medal. <laughs> but, um, but I have been so happy since... And you can't fake that either. Like I had my mum here for tea last night and she just keeps looking at me saying, I just always hoped, you know, one day that that you would, you know, stop drinking. And you just look so happy. I oh, know she said it in a Scottish act, mum's Scottish. She said, you look really happy, Margie. I'm really, really <laughs> proud of you. That's what she said. Anyone Scottish listening, you can crit my um, Scottish accent. Great. Um, <laughs> And I do it on Audible too. Um, and my cousins over there said, gee, you know, oh, you did a really good job. Because some, some of the translations I had to, my mum's a Shetlander, so I had to get my cousins to help me with some of the some of the translations. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but, no, trust yourself. Like, you have a voice, use it, trust yourself, and, you know, it's not impossible to change. That's what I hope people take away from my book. Mm. Oh, God, I love that so much. I love it. I love it so much. And the thing that's really, I think, acute in the, the early days is that when you start to put one foot in front of the other and for the first time, like in the alcohol experiment for me, the first time that I managed to get to like a week of not drinking and feeling good about it, not feeling mm. deprived, it's like, mm. Mm. oh, hang on a minute. Like this little voice inside of me that's been trying to speak for so long that I couldn't hear is right. And so... Mm you quite quickly can rebuild that trust with yourself. And, and, and in essence, that's all we've got, right? We've, we've got that, that connection with our, ourself, like all of our relationships are, are, are impermanent. They're transient. People are going to come and go out of our lives. We're going to, we're going to suffer loss, but that essence of who and what we really mm -hmm. are, we, we always have that. We always have that. So to, to be able to come home to that, it's like, uh, it's, it's such a place of comfort you're exactly right it is it's like coming home you know coming home to yourself I know mm. that sounds a bit <laughs> la -la, but um it's true you know mm. you are your home I suppose and mm. and you know mm. I can sit here now and feel very content in myself and the number of times in my life that I've been able to really say that and mean it uh, wouldn't be a lot. I mean, this would probably be the first time I'm 59. This would be the first time in my adult life that I am totally happy with where I am right in the present moment. I'm not yeah. thinking tomorrow or, you know, I should have done this or, and then that's huge. That really is. Well, I think we all spend a lot of time searching for wanting to be that content, you know, in the moment, 
we do an awful lot of you know soul searching to do it so I, I think I think alcohol plays a very big part in destroying that oh yeah so mm, but I'm not a preachy I don't want to be a preachy um I really like Annie. Annie's, you know, give it a go. You know, what have you got to lose? I mean, mm. that's that's mm. very true. What a, what an amazing share. I love, 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 love. Just uh, we're we're so aligned on on so many things, you know. And you're the the spirit of what we, what is kind of running present and sober. You just fit into it perfectly. It's amazing. So thank you so oh, thank much you, for coming and sharing. And um, Margie, hey, so. You know, so there's the Audible, there's where where do you where's the best place for people to get the book? And you know, Audible's obviously like an audible thing, but what about where are people going to get the book from? Have you got a website? What do you want to tell yeah, people about? Yeah, I've got uh website is www.margiejackson.com. You can order it online there. It's available on um Amazon, Booktopia, Kindle, ebook, <laughs> Audible. You know, it's really quite crazy when I say that. I, cool. I still find it very hard to believe. I'm just a ex-school teacher from Warrnambool, Victoria, Australia. So, um, yeah, look, I'd be wrapped if you would read my book and, and I'm, I'm always available to, to chat to people. Mum always says to me, you, know, you don't have to answer everybody. And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> it's good manners. And um, I spend a lot of time answering the messages that I get. Yeah, I, cool. I really value people getting in touch with me. That's wonderful. I, I love that so much. I, oh, I just want to give you a big hug, Margie. Oh, and, thank you. And, and look, like if, if you want to hang out with Margie, then come and join the Presence Sober podcast Facebook group because she's in there. Oh, yeah. Um, she's in there with us. So you can come and hang Great. out with her. And um, you were telling us just before we uh, before we went live that you've got another book in the, the works. So I would just, mm, I, I, I want to ask you to come back and talk to us about that one when, it's, oh, yeah. when you're all ready. Sure. Sure. When I finish renovating, I've just bought a house and I tell you what, it needs a big reno, but I'm up for it. But yes, I'm about 20,000 words into book two, which is called oh, Down cool. the Hatch. And it's about Australia's drinking culture, but I suppose it can be anywhere in the world because the drinking culture is very big everywhere. But wow. uh, as I said to you too, before we went live, that I, I was a bit starstruck, you know, I'm a bit fangirly because <laughs> I've seen you guys that I love your podcast. I tune in all the time. So I'm feeling very oh, like, you. no, you're great. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Hey, you're so welcome. And yeah, super excited. And for me in particular, having spent a couple of years out your way, it, when I was in the throes of of uh, of drinking and yeah, that would be a really interesting read for me, I th for, for everybody. Mm. But like, it's going to really, because of your perspective, having spent, you know, a lot longer in Australia than I have. Um, mm. Yeah. So yeah, I really look forward to talking about that when the time's right. Thank you, Sam. And thank you, Ellie. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, thank you for being here. It's been absolutely fabulous. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, me too. It's lovely to be able to see you. Next time you'll be able to see me when I work out oh, yeah. Andy's camera <laughs> on my new computer. We'll make sure we've sorted your computer out. Yes, okay. definitely. Cute. All right. Bye. Awesome. So if you're looking for a book to take away on your summer holidays or your Christmas holidays or whatever, whenever you happen to be listening, then go and grab a copy of I'm Enough. The links are in the show notes. And uh, yeah, stick it in your rucksack or your suitcase. I suppose that's what most people take on holiday, right? Put it in whatever you're taking away with you and um, give it a read because it's such an entertaining read and really different to so many of the books out there. Margie, thanks so much again for coming on if you're listening to this. And everyone, make sure you go and check out Margie's links in the show notes and all that stuff. Okay, speak to you soon.